We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are here at the People's Summit for Democracy in Los Angeles. We're joined by Gail Walker. She's the executive director of the Interreligious Foundation of Community Organizations, IFCO, and Pastors for Peace. Gail, welcome. Thank you, Brian. We were just at the opening session of the People's Summit for Democracy. This is, of course, the alternative to Joe Biden's hosted Summit of the Americas that mm -hmm. has excluded Cuba, yes. excluded Venezuela, excluded Nicaragua, and many other countries as a consequence of their exclusion have decided not to join or at least not to send their heads of state. Right. You were on a panel this morning at the People's Summit, the Alternative Summit, and you were talking about democracy. Uh, democracy for whom? And you made, I think, a really important point because the United States has excluded Cuba on the premise that it's not a democracy, mm -hmm. that Cuba and Venezuela and Nicaragua are autocracies or authoritarian states. And you describe Cuba as a participatory democracy. Uh, of course, each government, each system is different. But what do you mean Cuba is a participatory democracy? Well, that's one of the, the, the great things about Cuba is that, you know, whenever you've had an opportunity to travel there to really sort of see the way in which they have really uh, defined what it means to be a democratic nation. Uh, for example, the, the um, elections. I mean, the fact that, you know, you know in the United States, when it comes to elections, you've got to be wealthy, you've got to be able to have money for the, 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 the uh, television, uh, uh, you yeah, know, they advertisements. Spend, they, spend, and, they spend $2 billion, billion on with a tele B. just television advertising in the last election. Go Outrageous. Ahead. So Cuba, you, will, you know, you'll see that, uh, you know, people may be running for a particular position. It's a very simple placard picture, a very short bio, um, and the people are held accountable by their neighbors. And, you know, if they act up, they're out. Uh, but that's the way a, a democracy ought to act, is, it, you know, engaging the people. And I that's would, just one example. I would think most people in the United States who know almost nothing about Cuba, because the blockade of Cuba, which is designed to deprive Cuba of food and medicine and right. the things needed to sustain life in modern society. Yeah. The blockade also has blockaded Americans from learning the truth about Cuba. Absolutely. I would guess most people in the United States, if asked, would say, no, Cuba doesn't have any elections. One of the first things that I mentioned, I mean, I went many years ago, but 1992, that was my first trip to Cuba. And one of the things, politely, because I was trying to, be, I was raised to be polite, but I said, so how do you deal with it? You all don't have elections. And I got uh, a, a lesson in uh, civics uh, in, in, in Cuba. But you're right. I think that that's the situation, that there are so many people who don't know. They really don't know the, the, the reality. The information blockade is so real. It's, uh, it's, it's pervasive. Uh, we, we, our media, 
our schools, our, uh, you know, our uh, elected officials, our churches, our whatever, you know, we, we go, we've received nothing but negative uh, propaganda about Cuba. So th that's why the only way for people to really get a sense of the island is to go and travel there and see it for themselves. Interact with the Cuban people and see and ask those questions and learn because we, weren't, we won't uh, learn uh, otherwise unless we go and we, we interact. Yeah, well, one thing about participatory democracy is it means something more than voting as well. Right. Because, you know, in the United States, people have the right to vote every two or four years, including the homeless. They don't have the right to a home, but right. they do have the right to vote every two or four right. years. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, let's talk about what it means to be a participatory democracy outside of voting. Again, I think the reason we want to emphasize this is that the Biden administration which uh, has not lifted the 243 additional sanctions or coercive economic measures imposed by Trump yes. uh, after Obama. Uh, he, Biden hasn't lifted them. He's saying, look, the Cubans can't come to Los Angeles. They can't participate in this summit because they really are a dictatorship. You're taking a completely contrary point of view. You're saying, one, they have elections. And two, there's more to their democracy than just voting. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. I mentioned during the presentation the uh, CDRs, Committees in Defense of the Revolution. Essentially, Brian, those are, are, are uh, block clubs, right? So any of us that are, that are community organizers, uh, we get that. But we've got uh, the Cuba, which had just uh, had the triumph of its revolution, and said that, the, you know, we can't do all of this. Those of us who were in the Sierra Maestras and made our way across the country, we can't be the ones to impose, you know, the, the, the We, the, the government. Correct. Yeah. And that the way to actually engage uh, people and make sure that there really is a, a sense of, uh, uh, of, of connectedness, of belonging, of, uh, that this is our system, our democracy, is to empower people to, to, to be involved. And that's where the participation uh, takes place. So we've got the CDRs, for example, that were very instrumental in helping to uh, educate people about various aspects of, of Cuban society. Most recently, as I was mentioning, this family code. The family code is an effort by the Cuban uh, government to revamp their constitution. I find that fascinating. I mean, I'm, should I say how old I am? Why not? I don't, I'm, 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 I'm bold. I'm 63 years old. I have, I, the whole idea of the United States changing its constitution, the people being able to discuss and dialogue uh, and, and be engaged in what that process looks like is, is just fascinating to well, me. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I don't mean to interrupt, but it's, you know, Based on this, you know, the, the recent leaked memorandum from Samuel Alita from the Supreme Court yes. uh, basically extinguishing abortion rights for mm -hmm. women, uh, the basic legal argument of Alito is that if a right did not exist in the U.S. Constitution in 1787 mm. or in the subsequent amendments, it's not really enshrined in U.S. law, meaning it can be taken away. Right. So, Civil Rights Act... The Voting Rights Act, marriage equality, abortion rights, that's all up for, yes. you know, the taking at this point. And the right wing in the United States is taking it. They're taking it. Unless people fight back, these rights are going to disappear. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about that kind of democracy. What are people entitled to in Cuba? What about health care? What about abortion? What about education? Absolutely. What about these rights? And then, again, I want to go back to the idea that the people of Cuba are reshaping a new constitution 
And I know that, you know, when there's been uh, proposed changes, these discussions take place in factories and offices. They're everywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's really, like I said, I mean, I'm fascinating to see that kind of conversation taking place and people being able to actively engage in the process. Uh, the fact that, that Cuba has really made um, these uh, opportunities uh, possible um, is, is very uh, significant. And when we really look at, at our own nation and we see the ways in which w when we try to evoke change, for example, let's say that we vote in a politician who we might be able to uh, agree with uh, uh, their push for uh, you know policy change. That's all fine and good, but it does often does not mean that it's it's lasting change. Mm. Too often, the next set of uh, politicians will come in and and reverse things, and that's certainly what has happened. Um, even uh, well, once Trump came into place, I right. mean, once we, we we looked at these 243 uh, cores, cor these terrible measures. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that was a part of, of Trump being able to really flip the script on even what Obama had done, limited as, as it was. And then, of course, we've got, like you said, uh, uh, Biden, who has really manipulated the situation so that he is, I think, what often politicians in the U.S. are doing, which is to uh, save the space, save the space for their party for the next election. Mm. So, for example, you might have, let's say, a, a, a person who comes in as president, and we're thinking, all right, uh, we're excited that this person is going to, you know, make some, uh, some, some adjustments and some changes. And so often they'll wait. They wait until maybe the second term because they don't want to lose right. in, the, in the midterm elections. Uh, and you think, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Okay, now, now we're ready. We're going to really make some, some substantial. Waiting. We're always waiting. Yeah. We're always waiting yeah. because that person is always going to be uh, saving space for their party for the next election, no, and that's, that's the cycle. That is you know? you're, no, you're right. You're totally right. I mean, when you think about uh, the election of Barack Obama, of course, we're we'll we'll. We credit Obama for changing, in some small measure at least, in an important way, U.S. policy towards Cuba. The embassies reopened in Havana in the United States mm -hmm. the first time in 54 years. Yeah. The sanctions weren't lifted. The blockade wasn't really lifted. But it was a promising start. Yeah. But if you think about Obama in 2009, he was very popular. He had... Most young people in the United States were very excited. There was a kind of euphoria. Mm -hmm. The Democrats had 59 votes in the Senate. There was an independent senator who was voting with the Democratic caucus. So that's 60. So even with the so-called filibuster rule, they had the votes to overcome it. Very big majority in the House of Representatives. And so Obama could have done pretty much whatever he wanted to do. He could have, for instance, had single-payer health plan, right. meaning that everybody is going to have complete access to health care services, sure. but instead he adopted Mitt Romney's Republican governor of Massachusetts yeah. plan, the Republican plan to privatize health care. And the reason, the premise was, Obama was like, we don't want to go too far and too fast right now, mm -hmm. even though they had all of these majorities mm -hmm. in the House and the Senate. So here we are in 2022, and all of the services and all of the hopes, all of those dreams for basic things yeah. have been basically eroded. Yeah. So the logic of the American bourgeois political system is that the checks and balances are always checks and balances against people's expansive rights, yeah. where in Cuba, these rights are legal. 
Nobody's going to take away your right to free health care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. To free health care, to education for you could go as high as, as, as uh, you're interested in. And of course, you know, those of us who have loved ones, children, young people that are struggling to figure out how is it that they can uh, get a college degree because it's supposedly with the, the promise that you'll be able to get a good paying job so you can take care of your families. That's a whole other conversation for another, another time. But... Uh, but the fact that, that Cuba has recognized health care, education, housing, I mean, you know, sustainable development, uh, that these are, uh, uh, are rights, inalienable rights that the people um, possess uh, and that they've got to be at the, at the forefront of whatever it is that we do for our population is, a, is very different from obviously, you know, what we, we experience here. But that's part of what makes, I think, Cuba different and interesting and also that threat. That threat of a country that is saying, oh, healthcare? That that's a right. Yeah. Education when is you a think right. About, when you think about it this way, I mean, we're here in Los Angeles, a lot of money here in Los Angeles, a lot yes. of wealth. There's also a lot of people on Skid Row. Right. Like this class schism, this class divide is so obvious and apparent in Los Angeles. Uh, Cuba's not a rich country. I mean, Cuba's blockaded, it's an island country, it's had the legacy of underdevelopment right. from colonialism. I mean, and yet, it's able to guarantee these basic rights to every person. So if you know you have a right to a home, mm -hmm. and every Cuban does, you know you have a right to go to a doctor when you're sick, yeah. and the committees in the, for the defense of the revolution, they, each of those blocks have a doctor or a nurse or some set of healthcare professionals, so the doctor's always in. That's right. If you know that, if you know you want to go to college, you can go to college and you're not going to have a student debt, in fact, it's free. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, just the, the set of values and yes. the sort of the comfort, perhaps, that people would enjoy in Cuba, even though it's poorer. That kind of basic social structure is so important for human beings. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And it's, and it's a commitment that, that, that Cuba, that the government, that, that system that, that uh, uh, Cuba has uh, embraced and, and adopted is uh, putting people first, truly. It's not just a phrase. I mean, that there really is an effort to address the needs of the people. And that's, uh, that's a, a, a tremendous example for those of us who are struggling for you know, justice, no matter what uh, country, not just in the Americas, I think in the world. Uh, we all want you know, safety and security and, and, and care for our families. And uh, Cuba you know, really does, I think, make that a priority. Like you said, it may not be the fanciest hospitals. It may not be you know, uh, maybe certain things that, that people are expecting, but the, the commitment is to care for people at the most basic level. And that's a gift, and that's a beautiful thing that we need to be able to support and continue to, uh, to, to, to lift up. Pastors for Peace, mm -hmm. uh, IFCO and Pastors for Peace, you take delegations to Cuba, mm -hmm. people get a chance to see Cuba, you bring material aid to Cuba, sort of as an, a small uh, antidote to the blockade of right. Cuba. It's basically symbolic, but you're making the point. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing everything to lift the blockade of Cuba. Yeah. Can you imagine what would happen if Cuba didn't have the blockade? I mean, with the, this level of education, these values, this kind of community. Yeah. Uh, when you think about this island sending doctors all over the world, creating its own vaccines in the middle of a pandemic in spite of the blockade. Just let's imagine, yeah. what would Cuba be like without the blockade? Yeah. I mean, Cuba would be 
the jewel of the Caribbean. Absolutely. And it, the thing is, Brian, I think that there are many in the Caribbean and the world who, who recognize Cuba as such, uh, recognizing that there are limited uh, resources uh, uh, that the, the island has, but that what they have, they're willing to share. As I was speaking earlier, I talked about a uh, uh, U.S. government who was dangling uh, vaccines as if the Cuba, which has already manufactured five vaccine candidates, three of them viable, um, the United States government said, you know, if you're good and if you do what we want you to do, we're going to, you know, we'll give you some, some vaccines. And, and the Cubans said, thank you, but no thank you. Uh, but let's work together to deal with the vaccine apartheid that's happening in our own hemisphere, specifically in Haiti. Haiti. And of course, there was no, no acceptance of that. But the, the point is that, that Cuba has always, I think, you know, uh, represented that incredible um, uh, tremendous example of, of what it means to really uh, stand for not just itself, but the rest of the hemisphere. One of the things that I didn't get a chance to say earlier is that Cuba is, th th that all of these struggles, you know, are, it's not uniquely uh, Cuba that is experiencing this. The various countries in the region, so whether we're talking about Honduras or uh, uh, Nicaragua, Venezuela, certainly, um, but others in, in the uh, Colombia, um, that the, the stories, this, this, uh, the foot on the neck of the people of the government of Cuba, that story can be replicated for the various other um, countries in, in the Americas. And that's why it's important for us to unify and to be supportive. And that's why it's so important that there were uh, voices that said, if Cuba, if Venezuela, if Nicaragua are not present, this is not a legitimate summit and that we, we will not be there. The president of Mexico chose not to come, and he made it very clear. He said, yes. if the parts of the Americas, and substantial and big parts, mm -hmm. and parts that are even bigger than their numbers, I mean, Cuba plays an outsized role in the world, but also certainly in Latin America. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're excluded, we're not coming. He's not coming. I mean, this is one of the, maybe, I think Mexico is either the second or third largest trading partner of the United States. Yeah. It's a huge country. A huge amount of trade comes across the southern border of the United States. I mean, here we are in 2022 when Biden and Blinken and Jake Campbell and Kurt Sullivan and Victoria Nuland, this whole gang yeah. of neocons say, look, we're, we're going to decide who's eligible to come and participate in the summit of yeah. the Americas. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe at one time that would have meant that the government in Mexico or the governments in the Caribbean would say, oh, well, we don't want to get on America's bad side. Mm -hmm. So we'll just, we, we don't agree. We think Cuba and Venezuela and Nicaragua should be included, but you know, we'll just kind of, exactly. we'll just suck it up. Yeah. No, that's not happening anymore. And it's this incredible, in many ways, sea change. I mean, I think that there's this sense of, you know, as a unified body, if we're pushing back against the, uh, the U.S., the bullying tactics that they've put into place all these decades, uh, that we can succeed. And I think people were, in, uh, nations were emboldened by the, uh, the kind of... Um, uh, collective response. Uh, so, you know, you had one nation after another that were uh, stepping up to say, this is wrong, this is unjust, and we're, we're not uh, prepared to do that. But you're right, in the past, I think so easily, people were, were manipulated, were threatened, were, um, uh, you know, convinced that they needed to uh, stand in solidarity and stand beside uh, the, the U.S. and, 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 and count, you know, speak that line. And uh, there's so many that have said, uh, we're not doing that. 
And yeah. let's hope that that, you know, yeah, can it's continue. Yeah, it's a sign because, you know, when we think back to the last few years, and I know you, you're working, of course, constantly in solidarity with Cuba, but you're also uh, in solidarity with Venezuela, for instance. When you think about what happened under Trump, where Trump announces, by the way, Maduro's no longer the president of Venezuela. Juan Guaido is the president. They start seizing Venezuelan assets. They mm -hmm. seized, they actually physically seized Venezuela's embassy mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. Yes. in violation of the Vienna Convention that says diplomatic compounds are inviolable. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you would think like, wow, Nicolas Maduro's days are numbered. Because yeah. here's the U.S. They're sanctioning Venezuela. They're strangling it. They, they can't even sell their oil. There's in runaway inflation, lots of class and political differences. Right. But here we are, three years later, Maduro's in power. The U.S. has tried to do the same thing to Ortega mm -hmm. and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, yeah. Cuba. You know, yes, the U.S. has great power, you know, far greater than any other country. Mm -hmm. But there's a limitation on the power. And that limitation is... I think more than anything, a reflection not of the U.S. limited military power, but the political power of people actually is a block or yes. a barrier or a restraint on U.S. power. So Venezuela today survives. Nicaragua survives. Cuba survives. The Caribbean nations, even small nations, saying we're not coming to Los Angeles if Cuba can't come. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a real sign that... Uh, we shouldn't only think about power as the power of the gun, the power of the tank, the power of the missile, yeah. the power of the dollar. There right. is the power of the people. And yeah. that's, in a way, the message of the People Summit for Democracy. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that that's what uh, has really, like I said, emboldened other nations to just say, we don't have to just kowtow to uh, U.S. policy or U.S. Uh, you know, uh, position. Um, and that if we... Are a we the the not just well it, with other nations in the Americas and the global South, but um, just across the uh, the globe are able to unify our voices. We can push back against the intimidation of of the U.S. government and and its policies. And I think that that's exactly what's what's happening. Um, and it's it's an exciting uh, moment. Um, I think that what we've got to do, we meaning the people in the U.S., the very country that is, uh, you know, whose whose government is creating these conditions, whether that be in Cuba or in Venezuela and Nicaragua and elsewhere in the hemisphere, uh, that we have a responsibility to speak out against this, these, uh, these actions and to, to do what we can to lift up the truth and to push back against that, that information blockade that's not only being perpetrated about Cuba, but various other countries in, in the region. But you're right. Nicolas Maduro, if we listened to uh, uh, the, the, the White House or, you know, mainstream media would have been, you know, gone a long time ago. Uh, but here he stands. And people, I think, scoff and laugh at a, at a um, Guaido. Um, you know, there's a little meme that was circulating where uh, there was uh, Obama whispering in the ear of uh, Biden saying, man, you better get it together. This whole summit's going to fall apart. And then um, there's a, in the second frame a picture of Guaido saying, I'll be there. <laughs> you know? And I, I think that it's a joke. It's a joke for the rest of the world. And, and certainly um, most of the world, most of the people, even I think in the United States, don't even have any idea who Guaido is. Uh, so no. anyway. Yeah. One of the... One of the things about the blockade that you mentioned, the, the information blockade, is that 
The People's Summit for Democracy actually invited 23, I believe it's 23 yes, Cubans, Cubans, doctors, authors, sports figures, uh, academics. They invited them yes. to come here to mm -hmm. participate. And so not only was the Cuban government excluded, but Cuban civil society, society. was excluded because the U.S. government, the State Department, refused to get, give a visa. Yeah. Now, in the opening session, Democracy for Whom, that you spoke on the panel that, you know, earlier today, there was a video message of one of the people who was, whose visa was denied. Yes. It was extremely impressive. I mean, Very. She, was, she told her story. Uh, anyway, let's just talk about what she said and why is it that, from your point of view, that the U.S. government is so afraid that if a Cuban healthcare professional like this woman is allowed to come and speak in Los Angeles, yes. like somehow the sky's going to fall. Yeah, exactly. Christina um, Escobar, uh, who's a journalist and a beautiful, wonderful uh, friend, um, it broke my heart as she was talking about this child who was not able to, I think she mentioned it had uh, cancer liver, or needed, liver. needed a liver transplant. And we know too many cases. I've had friends who have um, who passed away because they've not been able to receive the medicines that they, that, uh, they needed. Medicines that were manufactured in the U.S. or a portion of a medicine was manufactured in the U.S. and therefore unable to legally be sent to Cuba. Um, those are real stories. In very real terms, people are suffering. Um, not because Cuba can't produce and care for its own people. It certainly can. It's produced five different vaccines uh, to fight COVID. Um, but it's the U.S. You know, manipulating and, and putting pressure on other countries and other uh, companies to suspend trade, to suspend uh, relations with, uh, with Cuba and that that's really what the, the boot on the neck of the, the, the Cuban government and the Cuban people is. So it's, it's important that we, um, that we lift up you know, what it is that Cuba is uh, capable of doing and that we really make clear that the, the challenge that Cuba is dealing with is a policy that has continued to try to strengthen, to try to, I'm sorry, not to strengthen, but to strangle the, the, the Cuban people. The claim that the, the, the U.S. makes that, uh, you know, they care for the Cuban people is a fallacy. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that it is the Cuban people who are expendable pawns in the U.S. government's uh, efforts to continue to dominate uh, the hemisphere. So there's so many different ways in which uh, Cuba's, uh, the U United States um, government's policies have been harmful, uh, uh, but uh, the resilience is, is tremendous. And that example is a can, what yeah, we continue and to if, lift and up. If, if the American people, if, if her presentation, which was really beautiful yeah. and touching, uh, if that was on CNN or, MS, or NBC or any of the mainstream media, yeah. like I think majority of people in the United States yeah. would say like, what? Uh, the, the policy towards Cuba is depriving parents of saving their children who need a liver transplant, in other words, a, a something that can be survived. Like, the American people don't really know about this. You know, the government hasn't really told the truth about its policies. You yeah. know, I, 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 went to, um, I went to Iraq in 1998 bringing medicine because Iraq was uh, blockaded, and I went actually with your father yes. and Ramsey Clark and your father, Lucia, Reverend Lucius Walker. And right before we were about to leave, the State Department well, the Justice Department was threatening to indict us uh, for bringing medicine to Iraq in defiance of sanctions. So mm. they said, we're breaking the law. 
And we were like, go ahead, arrest us. Exactly. We'd love to have that trial because the American people will find out that you're putting us on trial for uh, bringing medicine to babies who you're depriving of getting medicine so those babies are dying because the American people, if they learn about the policy yeah. towards Iraq, the sanctions, the, the fact that there's killers, the American people will turn against the sanctions. Exactly. My point is that isn't, isn't it the most important thing because we can't count on the government to change the policy to do the things like Pastors for Peace and IFCO was doing, which is to reach the American people with the truth about what the blockade, what the so-called sanctions mean on the Cuban people. If the American people know, I think they will join us in the struggle to demand that this blockade end. So true, Brian. You know, one of the things my dad used to say was, you know, this is a win-win situation. If they stop us, we win. If they don't stop us, we win. We take our aid, we take our supplies, we, 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 have the, uh, we control the narrative. We talk about what it is that the blockade is in, in real terms. If they stop us, if they arrest us, saying that we're you know, um, breaking the law because we're taking medicines to babies, bring it on. Bring it on, because that uh, really doesn't do anything but help to underscore the injustice of this policy and the, the righteousness of people who are willing to stand up and, and fight against a policy that would deny this child uh, the ability to have the medicines uh, to, to save his or her life. So it's, it's important work that we continue to do. We win either way, and uh, that's why we continue to do the work. Okay, with that said, and final point, mm -hmm. if people wanted to join Pastors for Peace, Become a volunteer, become an organizer, you know, send your support in whatever way. Want to go to Cuba with you. Yes. How do they do it? They contact us. They can write us at ifco at ifconews.org. Ifco at ifconews.org. Uh, the office is periodically open, but you can leave a message, 212-926-5757. 212-926-5757. Uh, but there are, uh, uh, the, the, the website uh, is also another way that you can communicate with us, ifco at ifconews.org. But we would love to have as many people. We've got 100 people lined up to go with us this summer. Yeah. Our hope is that we will um, continue to organize delegations, caravans. The important thing is for people to go and see the reality uh, for themselves. So, yeah, we, w we welcome people to participate, volunteers, uh, Come on. There's, there's plenty of work to be done. Gail Walker, thank you very much. Always good to see my brother, Brian. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 